0: Let's pray, Father. Thank you for that story, and um, this, it is the story. And I, I pray that all our hearts are able to reorient ourselves to align with that story in our own individual stories, and collectively, um, those of us who follow Jesus, our hearts do long for that vision to see Him sitting on the throne, and that that vision, or or that that reality, for every Knees shall bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and seeing the actualization, the realization, the reality of the kingdom of God all over your creation, and so we are hopeful for this vision, for this thing that we are uh, striving for at the local church. Help us to see this reality in our own lives, even to have a taste of it. In Jesus' name. Amen. amen all right hey guys i'm nathan and i serve on the directional team and um we are in our second week of advent and uh what we do is we remember the coming of jesus by anticipating his coming through a calendar towards christmas and last week um as was said he uh, re-preached on hope and uh what we saw, one of the biggest things was um, just actually looking at the darkness so that we could see the light. Now, let me add to that. It's like, you know, when you're in the middle of Kansas and you look at the night sky, that's when you see the stars at their most brilliant moments, right, um, with no city pollution, and, and so. Looking at the darkness will help us see the light, the brilliance of what that is offered. Well, this week we're talking about peace. And, 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 and kids, let me ask you something. Do you guys know the word Hawaiian natives use when they say hi and bye to each other? What? Just say it. Aloha, right. Aloha. And Aloha means peace, love, respect, and harmony, right? Let me ask you a similar question. Do you know what Jewish people say? It's a similar word, but they have their own word. You guys know? Huh? Shalom. Shalom, correct. Very good. We have a smart church. (laughs) So, shalom means peace, right? At At its most basic. But it's way more than just not fighting or tolerance of one another, right? Shalom, when you wish someone shalom, you're saying good welfare to you. I want you to be prosperous, right? I, I want you to do well. I want soundness to be in your life. That's what we wish upon each other. Right? That's what Jewish people wish upon each other when they say, Shalom. And Shalom takes all these different parts. The idea of it is it takes these different parts, harmonizing to be a complete whole. That's Shalom. Shalom is never accidental. Shalom is not um, just coincidence. You have to work for it. Okay? And so, what we are looking at here is this idea of, of much more than just, I just want to be peaceful and not fight. There's, there's this idea of flourishing. And so, the same idea with hope last week. If we're going to appreciate peace, you know, as a reality, what is the darkness in our days? And I would, and I would have to ask then, what's, what would happen if Shalom is absent, Right? What's the feeling? Fear? Mm-hmm. Consternation? You know, afraid? Anxiety. Anxiety is on the rise, and it's only getting worse in the US. According to the National Institutes of Health, anxiety disorders have increased over the past decade, especially among 18 to 25-year-olds. Interestingly, if you're above 55, there's not really been an increase. Mm-hmm. The World Health Organization reported that there is an increase of 25% in the year 2023 alone. Why? Well, it's easy to see um, that COVID played a big part. Politics, you know? Oh my gosh, I don't want this certain person to be president again, right? Um, the, you got the addicting effects of social media, there's all sorts of studies on that, the connection between anxiety and social media, the unnatural pace of modern life, right? And so all these play a, a key role, and anxiety is this present fear of a perceived future loss, right? Let me say that again, anxiety is this present fear of a perceived future loss. It's a lonely existence. So what would it take to be restored collectively and individually to a state of shalom? Many valid solutions are offered, like, you know, counseling and medication and cognitive behavior interventions. But there's one remedy that rules them all. And I think psychiatrist Kurt Thompson said it best. Let me just quote him. The healing of our world begins with God's willingness to be present, Emmanuel. Yeah. So, what we're going to meditate on this morning is, there is no peace without presence. So, um, in this edit season, let me take you through a story, um, and, and, and just really just gaze upon the brilliance of God's presence through the eyes of Isaiah. And and, and which leads to this birth of the Prince of Peace against the black background of intense anxiety with everything that's going on. So there's going to be three chapters of this story. One represented by Isaiah 7, and then the other Isaiah 41, and then Matthew 1. So let's start with the first chapter. God's presence comes despite of our unfaithfulness, is what we'll see. So let me read the word of God. Isaiah said, Isaiah said, Listen, house of David, is it not enough for you to try the patience of men? Will you also try the patience of God? Therefore, the Lord himself give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. All right, so Getting into this passage is like being thrown into the middle of a movie scene. It's like, what's going on here? I don't know. I can't feel, for what's going on with the characters because I don't know the context. We need context, context, context. So let's go back one more chapter, Isaiah 6. If you've read the Bible for a while, you know that's that famous passage or that vision where Isaiah sees the vision of God sitting on the throne high and lifted up, right? And it's in the year that King Uzziah died. That's significant. Uzziah holds the record for the longest reigning king in Judah, right? His death marks the end of stability, of of progress, of innovation. Now what? So this vision is saying, yeah, Uzziah died. But let me remind you who's really on the throne. Nothing has changed in terms of the covenant, in terms of what God is planning to do. God is still on his throne, and his robe has filled the temple. There's so much meaning to this uh, vision that we don't have time to get to. But the angels cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. The earth is full of his glory. And it was a magnificent sight, right? And so Isaiah was atoned for, and then he uh, began to be commissioned to speak on his behalf. And the first task we see is in our chapter in Isaiah 7. This is roughly 16 years after that vision. We skip over Jotham, who was the son of Uzziah, and he had an untimely death at only 41. So his 20-year-old son, Ahaz, became king. This guy who probably just came over just got over pimples, <laughs> acne, and, and and a guy who can't even buy. Liquor in our country is now given the responsibility to rule over a nation. Talk about anxiety, right? Not only that, anxiety mounted because the northern king of Israel and Syria have made it an alliance to invade Judah. What do you do as a 20 year old, right? So the anxiety is mounting. And so Isaiah 7-2 reveals that the heart of Ahaz and the hearts of the peoples trembled like trees of a forest shaking in the wind, right? And the present fear of a future loss of, of economic stability and national security. The potential fear of, 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 of a future loss of, of, of sons fighting in a war. The the, the, the the present fear of this potentiality of your daughters being raped and taken away forever. Your precious possessions and your homes destroyed. If we can just empathize just for a little bit. This is more than just trees kind of going in the wind. This is like a, a palm tree enduring a hurricane, right? So it's not... It, it, and so God has sent Isaiah to speak to Ahaz at this moment. And, the, and he says to him, calm down, Ahaz. Be quiet. Don't be afraid. Or oh, cowardly. These guys, the kings of Syria and Israel, they're like smoldering sticks. Okay? Now, Isaiah, have you seen that? Well, of course his faith is strong. He saw a vision of the Lord. Ahaz hasn't done that. That's why it was so merciful when God said, Okay, also say to Ahaz, I say, Ask God for a sign. There's no limit. You can ask him to reveal the heavens. You can go to this deepest shield. Anything you want. I want your faith to be strong. Ahaz, rule your people well. But Ahaz refused. And he said, with a false piety, I don't want to test the Lord God. Now, this is unfortunate because it's not just that faith itself will save Ahaz. It's that object of faith. What is he trusting in? Because faith is like an electrical wire. The electrical wire, you know, connects the power source to the machine. But just with the electrical wire, it won't do anything, right? So faith is like that. Faith is, connects us to God's power. And God has promised in Deuteronomy 28, 7, The Lord will cause the enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They will march against you from one direction, but flee in seven different directions. Okay? Do you believe that, Ahaz? Now... I was just thinking about this, just imagining myself in this situation. If I was a policy wonk advisor, and I'm going to tell Ahaz what to do, I'm not going to tell him, Ahaz, just have faith. God will pull through. It doesn't make sense. So you can understand Ahaz's, you know, hesitation to place his faith in God. And so that's where we catch up to this passage, and you know, that feels like we're jumping into the middle of the scene. Isaiah said, listen, also David, is it not enough for you to try the patience of men? Will you also try the patience of God? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. Well, What I love about this is,
1: Ahaz
0: doesn't want to ask for a sign? Well, fine, God will give you a sign anyway. The wonderful thing about God's presence is it isn't dependent upon your faithfulness. It is always offered to you. No matter how many times you may be like Ahaz and refuse to pray because of your situation. No matter how many times you have uh, uh, fall under a certain sin to cope with your life, that presence is always there for you. It is by grace. His presence is couched in the immovable promises of the covenant. And your situation will not break that covenant. The sign of the virgin birth is like saying, I know it doesn't make sense, but it's going to happen anyway. God can't be defeated. There's nothing that will get in the way. A virgin giving birth? That's nothing to God. That's capable. Trust in that sign of this bigger thing, this bigger reality. God will succeed. God will win, and you will be a part of that. God will establish his kingdom. And in that, shalom, peace will prevail. Do you believe? That's the question in your own life. Do you believe? Now, as we get into that, the second aspect of God's presence is God's presence upholds us and what we'll see in Isaiah 41. Unfortunately, Ahaz did not have faith. The story continues. He chose to do exactly what God said not to do in Exodus. Namely, do not make an alliance with any foreign nations. In this case, he made it an alliance with Assyria. Kind of makes sense. You got two... Invading nations Well here's a more powerful empire There. Uh, let me ask That empire for help And let me get some help so we can Push these guys back So he met with a, uh, the, the king of Assyria and, and, and they made a covenant together And now he said to The king of Assyria I will be your servant I am your son And the king of Assyria Said okay so he went on and defeated Syria and Israel with ease. If you look into history, Assyria is a, is a brutal empire. Blood followed their trail everywhere they went. Nobody could defeat the Assyrians. And at first, this seems like a shrewd plan with, with on, on Ahaz's part. Judah is now safe. But Ahaz set into motion that would haunt Judah forever. Because it all started with the attempt to take away God's presence. Because not only were they protected, the Assyrian king was shrewd too. He wanted Judah to be reminded always, it isn't your God that's protected you, it's me. The Assyrian, we have protected you. So he gave Ahaz commands to make modifications in the temple. Because the temple is that, that that symbol of God's presence. And so now whenever you go to the temple. You don't come into the presence of God. You now are reminded of Assyria, And Ahaz turned out to be the worst king Judah had ever seen. He would even sacrifice his own son. The very act that. That provoked God to anger and said Israel I want you to go and destroy the nations around us And this land will be yours Now they're just like one of the nations And so Judah would go on with several more kings There were good reformations like Hezekiah and Josiah But they had this false sense of security God even sent a prophet named Jeremiah Jeremiah to say to them and warn them, I know you got all these false prophets and priests saying to you, peace, peace, shalom, shalom, when there is no peace. And the problem with making an, a covenant and trusting in a covenant with a foreign nation is there's no guarantees because eventually Assyria fell under another mighty empire, the Babylonians. And when the Babylonians defeated the Assyrians, what happens to Judah now? The covenant that they had was made void. And then they suffered the same fate as their brothers and sisters in Israel. And they were taken and defeated and killed and exiled for 70 long years. Right. And so for that's the the background. And so for roughly 400 years went by. And God went radio silent. He he sent no more prophets after Malachi. The haunting question in all that time is, is God present? Has he forsaken us? And all they had in communication with God was the word of God, the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. And one passage then, against the blackness of this night, began to shine Like the stars in the sky with no city pollution. Isaiah 41, 8 through 10. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend, I brought you from the ends of the earth and called you from its corners. I said to you, You are my servant. I have chosen you. I have rejected you. Do not fear. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold, I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. We live in a broken world. The good news is we don't need to fear because God promises He's with us. But do fear. If more do. The supreme God of the Babylonians is your God. Do fear if uh, uh, Ahura Mazde, the supreme God of the Persians, or Zeus, the supreme God of the Greeks, or Jupiter with the Romans. If they are your God, yes, fear. If money is your God, fear. If your family is everything above God, Fear. But if God is truly your God and you have a relationship with him in Jesus Christ, then do not fear because your circumstances do not break the covenant of God. He has declared victory. He has won and he stands in victory for all time. He will establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. In the meantime, you are not left to your own devices. He will strengthen you. He will uphold you. But to what purpose? Just to survive? No, he's helping you to build peace. Shalom. Shalom for yourself. Shalom for the people around you. Begin fighting your anxiety with God's presence. There's no future lost there. It's there for all time. It's there for you. You are not alone. And so this Christmas, we are fortunate on this side of history where God has made this sign of the Emmanuel. No, we see the virgin birth of Mary and her son Jesus. And so we see the third aspect of God's presence. God's presence identifies with the vulnerable. Matthew begins his gospel with a genealogy. And that's always a disappointing read. You're like, you start off, okay, we're, we're talking about Jesus. A genealogy? What? But it's more than a historical record of, of Jesus' human family tree. It's intentionally crafted. It's a theological statement, basically saying, before we get into the gospel of Jesus Christ, you've got to familiarize yourself with the story of Israel. It only makes sense then, right? And so there we're reminded that of the covenants made with Abraham and David. There we're reminded of the covenant broken that led to the exile. And there, at the end, the climax of the genealogy is Jesus Christ is born. He is king. And he will deliver his people from the exile. But what's this? The story starts with a descendant of David, Joseph, with his own anxiety. The person that he's been thrown to is pregnant. You can empathize with that. Your girlfriend is pregnant. You know, it wasn't you, as a father. What do you do? Well, he's an honorable man. He wanted to, uh, you know, not bring her to public shame. So he quietly made plans to divorce her. And here's where we get to in our word. Verse 20. But after he considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what has been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So we see once again, again and again and again, and in this time again. God says to his people, don't be afraid. Do not fear. Don't let your anxious take you over. Joseph, take Mary as your wife. And in this vulnerable moment, that's when God enters the world. He didn't enter the world through a white-collar family or a royal family, but through a struggling blue-collar family. I and mean, he was born in a state for crying out loud. His presence broke into the world in the most vulnerable state, naked, helpless, and needy. And so, in that story, what God is doing is he's inviting us to look upon his son's nakedness so that we can consider our own nakedness. Because it is in the story of Adam and Eve, their nakedness exposed. There's shame. And in the same way where where Christ came into the world naked, he exited the world naked on the cross, bearing all our shame. What Christ is doing is, you know, all the promises of Isaiah 41, where he says, God says, I I haven't rejected you people of God. I haven't. You know, left you, I have chosen you. I am with you. All that is validated in the Christmas story. God doesn't say these things from afar. God is saying these as one of us. And so, in this nakedness as he goes out in the world, we know that the shame that he has defeated cannot be, that the shame that we have held, cannot defeat us. It cannot defeat God because death can't even break God's covenant. Mm-hmm. So the good news for instance, Christmas in this Christmas season you are not alone. Mm-hmm. Your circumstances do not break the covenant God has made with his people. Mm. They are there for all time. So again, this season by overcoming your anxieties with the presence of God. You can you know, you can, you know, obviously there's make room for if you need medication and um, cognitive behavioral interventions or whatever methods but let all of that sit and be couched in the presence of God. Let me pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word and we all long for shalom. It's built in us. Some of us can't even imagine what life would be like. Stress free. Free from anxiety. Not necessarily. Not, not free from responsibility. But free from a worry of, that we will lose things in the future. Because, Lord, we are confident. And I pray, Lord, if not, if we build our faith. We would be confident that your presence will never be taken away from us, that you will return and make all things right. And in the meantime, we pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us, you would hold us with your righteous right hand. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.